This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah, in the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Western Wall. So here we are at this very special time of year, which is called Adar. And Adar is a strange month. It's a bizarre month. It's not a simple month. And and the more wavy you are spiritually, because different people have different amplitudes of how wavy they are. So the more wave you are, the more intense Adar is. Adar is kind of a radical month. And uh, the, the likelihood of getting slammed in Adar is high. You know, the, uh, so far I've been slammed in Adar several times. So it's only been a week since it started. So I'm up to a usual start for Adar. Um, and Adar is just the weirdest. You know, I, my wife was on the phone last week, or Saturday night, I don't remember. She was on the phone, and she's like, Mazel tov, congratulations. And she's like, and then she says, Bruch dynamis, that's so sad. I'm so sorry. It was like all in the same call. So it was like, it was like her friend, you know. And then she was like, oh, Rufusha Lema. So like, it was like all within 10 seconds was, congratulations. Blessed is the true judge for bad news. And then may you have a speedy recovery. So what were the three things? Um, she's, the woman she was speaking to successfully got through heart surgery. Had a granddaughter. And her 53-year-old sister died. Like, all in like the first 10 seconds of the phone call. And that's very Adar. It's like, Adar's got serious amplitude to it. And I can, I can recall some of the heaviest times in my life have all happened during this month. Um, and one of the reasons why it happens in this month, and it also can happen a little more financially, though, in the month of uh, Elul, is because it's the final month. Now, leave it to Judaism to have two beginnings of a year. You know, but the, we have Rosh Hashanah, that's the new year. And everything you're going to make for the year comes through the year, and but if you happen to have made too much, so God will just, like, bite it out of you in the last month. He'll just, like, crazy stuff will happen in your last month. Like, you'll get, you'll get, you'll, you'll, I, you'll, while you're in a parking spot, they'll paint it handicap, you know. <laughs> and then you'll come back to your car with a thousand shekel fine, and it's like, and it's like, boom, like that. Like, there goes a thousand shekels, and there goes this, and there goes that. On the bright side is if you didn't make so well, that could be a windfall of money. You know, because you, God's got to basically pay up your year, because it says on Rosh Hashanah you're gonna, you know, it's it's set up how much you're gonna make. So that was a little scary like that. But Adar is the twelfth month of the year, and and it's uh, you know it's it's kind of what you're gonna have to go through, and uh, if you hadn't gone through it yet, and so so people are going through stuff, and there's a lot to go through this time of year, but the funny thing is, is that going through stuff climaxes. Climaxes on Purim. Purim is a day where, you know, like all hell breaks loose, where, you know, everything goes insane on Purim, and, and you just can't imagine the roadkill that, like, shows up at my house throughout the day. You know, people are just, people are coming in with, like, and people are coming in bleeding, and, like, and like, oh, you know, all kinds of stuff. This guy got punched. This guy got jumped. You know, this, this girl, you know, like she thought she was drinking, you know, a an alcoholic-free cocktail called a mojito that was half full of tequila or vodka or something. And 
and now she's she's just flat out, you know, so you got to keep it on her, and you know, but now now she's thrown up all over the dining room table, you know, where which is filled with all the guests, you know, and and uh, and now now she's getting like showered down by some really kind lady in my children's bathtub, you know, and now now she's come out in my wife's robe, you know, and. Oh, it's that's like, so cute. It's like true story. Uh, what's up, ladies? Uh, maybe bring that chair around. You can sit together. Just don't touch it to the floor because it's they're really loud. Just close the door. So the anyway, but like, if anything, if anything could happen, it's gonna happen on Purim. And you should basically, you should go out when you go out on Purim Day, which will be uh, in Jerusalem. What day is that? Wednesday. When you go out on Purim Day, it's a week from today. You, know, you basically want to wear a helmet and elbow pads and knee pads. You know? And by the way, all you're going to do is party the whole thing. And if you're not meant to get jumped, you know, no one's jumping you. So you, you kind of know while they're punching you in the ribs that it's like, it was coming to me. It was coming to me. It was coming to me. Like, you, whatever you go through on Purim is so exacting. It's insanely to, down to the millimeter of what's going to happen to you while you party on Purim. It's crazy. And who you're with, it's never who you're meant to be with on Purim. You know, like, meaning, it's, well, it's exactly who you're meant to be with. It's never who you had planned to be with. And and you can wind up anywhere, you know, where you, you, it's important, by the way, wherever you wash your hands for this festive meal on Wednesday, it's important when you wash your hands for that meal to have in mind that the blessing after the meal could be anywhere, but literally anywhere. You know, it could be on a boat in Herzliya. You have no idea where you're going to wind up. Probably better not to leave Jerusalem. So we haven't decided what we're doing yet as far as our party, because what happens is we, there's always these like guys with mansions who are good at working, but not necessarily throwing parties, and think Rabbi Yom Tov Glazer should be their esteemed guest, and he'll kind of make it happen. You know? So every year these offers come up, and we haven't brought that up with our children yet, because they prefer to party at home. So we're not sure what to do. We're thinking maybe we'll start the party at our house and then somehow uproot it, move it to one of the mansions, get the party going there. And, and anyone who knows me even remotely well should probably get in touch and find out the secret address. You know, those are generally going to be good parties and well well lubricated. And the uh, and find that out. And then... And, but what I'm thinking is that we'll wind up back in my place at around, uh, I don't know, maybe 8 or 9. You know. um, by the way, when the sun goes down and all the lit fox bench, yeah, I don't know if you know what lit fox are, but if you notice someone starting to say Birkat Hamazon, like the blessing after the meal, because it's nighttime now and they want to like go pray or something. So that's when you leave. Okay, That's when you say thank you and you just run, run out of there and go to the next parties because the Hasidic people think that, like what happens is you party really hard all day and then right around sundown you drop that fuselage and you light a new one and it's like till like you know till midnight one two in the morning you just keep partying and you party much harder as the night goes on you were partying very hard by the day but now it's like now it gets really crazy and uh, you don't want to miss that part of Purim. But the likelihood of your being with a host that starts going into, like, ending Purim, the second that happens, you know you're leaving. 
and then you just thank him for everything. It was great. And run out of there like as fast as you can. And, and keep, the main thing is do not say the blessing after the meal. Just keep it going. Keep it going. In my house, we usually say the blessing after the meal. Right? I don't know. And you, most years, probably around 2, 3 in the morning, sometimes near sunrise. We finally say the blessing after the meal. So, so it, it just keeps going and going and going. And, and just one other thing, if you happen to be anywhere near the Hasidic communities of Me'asharim or any of those areas, it's, it's a good idea to poke your head in there and dance around a while because the bands start playing at around 6 or 7, like right around sundown, a little later than sundown, there's full-on bands playing. They've cleared out all the chairs and tables and it's just like wild dance parties. That's why I'm thinking my house might be a little later because I'll probably go dance there for a while so anyway but the but the main objective of the day is to become one with God it's considered the holiest day of the year in fact the day is called uh, Purim and it sounds a lot like the day of, of Yom Kippur which is called Yom HaKippurim and uh, which means to the day of atonement Kippurim means to to be uh, atoned you know for your sins but what's cool about the word atonement is it also spells at one minute. So, so you can become at one with God on Yom Kippur. But it's at one with God, um, Yom Kippur, Yom Ha-Ki-Purim. You can see the word Purim right there. So the, the day, a day like Purim, the day that is like Purim, is... Yom Kippur is a day based on awe and order. Okay? It's a day based on awe and order. Whereas Purim itself, the day of Purim is is a day of of, uh, intimacy and chaos. Okay? Intimacy and chaos. And and we all know that that you know if, if you spend your life single, you will have more, much more order in your life. And much you know, life will be stable and overly stable and you'll be bored of it and hate it eventually. And and whereas if you allow yourself towards the intimacy of life, so then Introducing another character into your world is like, you know, leading going to lead to a lot of chaos, which is fine. You know, you want to slide over one? We got a, uh, you got a seat over there. You're good. Okay. So, so it's going to lead to a lot of chaos. Being in a relationship is very chaotic, and uh, um, but we love it. You know, it's, it's like we all want that. We all want that chaos and. And obviously, it's not chaos all the time, but it's chaos a lot of the time. And depending who you marry, it might be more or less chaos, you know. And, and some of us are gluttons for chaos, so you might unconsciously marry a really chaotic person. And um, or the, it could be the combo is chaotic, but the but it's also magical because magic isn't the world of chaos, whereas. You know, there, there ain't no magic in the world of order. It's not built for that. It's built for stability. Now, think about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is the day of where we get, we repair, it's a day of repair from our 
overly chaotic behavior during the year, meaning there's an order, and the order is listed very clearly in a Jewish life. It's listed very clearly what to do and what not to do, and there's about 55,000 laws that are brought down. Uh, you know, when you click on each hyperlink of the Torah, it comes out to about 55,000 laws of the do's and the don'ts. And, and, uh, and, you know, that's the order of events. And what happens is human beings, left to their own devices, generally will go into a more chaotic behavior. And they love to, they love the chaos. Shalom Aleichem. They, the, the coin gadol has arrived. So they, lo- they love the chaos. I can only offer you there and here. Okay? So, anyway. And our behavior, you know, people do stupid stuff, which is, uh, you can sit next to him, so I'm looking more at you. Um, you do stupid stuff. And, uh, and now it's like Yom Kippur's coming. And you're like, or Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur's coming, and you're like, where have I been? You know, I've been doing stupid stuff, and haven't had a lot of clear, haven't had a lot of clarity. I haven't really had that awe of God, which is slash fear of God. You know, like being in awe of my Maker, who you know built the program I live in. You know, this digital program here was built by God, and and therefore I, you know, should probably stick with the master plan instead of me constantly. You know, basically doodling when I when I'm supposed to be writing legibly my sentences, and so and so we we have a, a desire to do stupid stuff and just to get that sense of self, you know. Because think about it: if you always follow rules, where do you come in? You know, if you're, always, you're a robot, you know, if you always follow rules, at what point do you show up? You know, like it's just rules and regulations, and you know, you. Know, just not a lot of room for improvisation there. And and so what happens is you convince yourself that you should be more autonomous and, and do something that's a little beyond the pale of the instructions of the Jewish people. And then you do something stupid and then you feel all the guilt and shame of like having fallen and you know and you danced in such a way that, that turned out to be ultimately harmful for you, which is what will happen. And, and now you're now you're feeling a little messed up, and and so you got to do chuba. And so you, what do you do? You get your act back together, and you stand yourself back up, and and you know do the right things. Now, by the way, there, there's no reason for you to do all that because because it's your own craziness that thinks that you have to achieve autonomy. I and mean, let's think about this really philosophically. Do you have any autonomy? I mean, can you move a muscle that God doesn't allow you to have, allow you to move? Can you do anything? Can you even choose to do the wrong thing? You know, without God setting you up to want to do the wrong, wrong thing, because we're all born with this part of us that wants this wrong thing. And, and, and But God, not only that, he gives you the ability to, first of all, he presents it, gives you the ability to achieve it, and then basically orchestrates the whole event. And so how much autonomy did you have even doing the wrong thing? And so how about we do the how about we realize that God's running the whole show and doing the right thing he's just as much you have just as much autonomy doing the right things as you do doing the wrong things. 
You don't have like you're not having more autonomy because you want to finagle some stupid move. You know that doesn't make you more independent. You were never independent. <laughs> we were never independent. Yet fully independent because your experience of life is free will. That's one of the great quotes of Rabbi Nachman, who says uh, he says that he will show us um, that. Um, Rabbi Nachman said, let me teach you a new path. Sounds like an autonomous thing. Like, you know, when I'm riding down, like I just came from mountain biking. So when, if I'm riding down a new path, so it's really new, right? It's really new. I've never been down that path. Except, is it a new path? Is it a new path? No. Not all new path, because it's a path. So if it's a path, someone's been on it. It's just new to me. So he says, let me, I, I will show you a new path that has already been walked on by our forefathers, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. But nevertheless, it's a new path. Why? Because you're walking it. And so when we live our lives in awe and order in our relationship with God and Torah, it's a new path. And just as, and you don't have much autonomy, I mean, on the level of, on the high philosophical level, you don't really have much autonomy. And God's completely pulling the strings, and you're like, the, you're the puppet on the other side. With a full experience of choice, I mean, you feel the choice. I'm just saying on the highest philosophical level, there's no real choice. And because, you know, who says the thoughts you're having are yours? You know, like, who says the choice you're making are yours? You know, you're, you're basically experiencing the choice but on the highest level, who says? And, and yet you walk down a path that's tried and true, directed by the, you know, the laws of our tribes, of the tribes of Israel, and living a fully halachic life, doing the right things. And it's brand new. It's a brand new path. Because it's new for you, because you're, the, you're being created on the path. Like, now. Now is your walk on that path. You know, which again, for some young people, they feel that's boring, but, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not boring, it's just that we're a bit of, we're a bit asleep to the newness of it. But I heard a beautiful song, you guys want to hear a song? Yes. Uh, based on those words, it goes like this. To nudi et now God does nevertheless even if you're keeping everything and doing all the right things, and you, you guys tell me, when you do all the right things and you're perfectly ordered, does your life come out perfectly ordered? <laughs> not at all. It's, it's not at all like that. It's actually, you know, God throws curveballs all the time and, and you're stuck with suffering and chaos. So God throws chaos into the system. We don't, you don't need any extra help in creating chaos in your life. If anything... Get yourself as ordered as possible. Like, create as much order as possible 
in your relationship with God and Torah. You want to maximize order there. And then just let God throw the curveballs. Let God throw the chaos into the system. And you don't need to help God with chaos. Help. He's got chaos handled. And and then let him have, throw chaos into your life. And you got to work your way through it. But it'll make life interesting and poor you. And you know, you'll have your ups and downs. And you'll ride the roller coaster. Okay. But that represents awe. Now let's get into intimacy. So intimacy is... What you get when, when structure, you know, law, awe, order, fear, when law and order and fear and, and when that is in place, now intimacy is possible. Now you can actually have intimacy. Because, you know, what happens, what happens when someone goes straight to intimacy but skips awe and order? What happens when that happens? When awe, I'm gonna put other words here. You got fear. You got respect. And awe, fear, respect, law. Law didn't come up too good. Uh, what happens when you skip that part and you just go into intimacy and chaos? What happens then? It's unstructured. What? It's totally unstructured. Right, so then what happens? Bad stuff. Yeah, it's usually, usually bad stuff happens there. You know, like, for example, uh, in a business, in a business, you know, there's compliance, general compliance going on in businesses. And, and uh, if you get someone acting erratically in the business structure, especially the higher up they are in the, in the pyramid of that business, if they're starting to act erratically and ignore the compliance laws and all that, all that stuff, so you know they're going to be introducing major chaos into that business, and then there's going to be lawsuits, and there's going to be angry people, and there's going to be, you know, all that. Maybe government agencies getting involved, and you know it's going to be a disaster. Another thing is uh, the ultimate experience of chaos is boyfriend and girlfriend relationships. Yeah. There's no awe, there's no fear, there's no respect, and there's no law. Yeah? And there's some order, but not much order. Um, all there is is just a lot of intimacy and a lot of chaos. And so, how do those relationships work out? Long-lasting or short-lasting? Short-lasting. Yeah, those are very, very short relationships. And these are the relationships that engender... Um, that engender... You know the 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 gen, you know the secular world will jump straight to intimacy. Like I had a guy, a Gentile, the other day asked me, uh, wants to get married, he's thirty-five years old, and he thinks he found the one, and he's like really excited. And I asked him, you know, he's but he wants advice. Like, what do I do? You know, because I like I want to close tie the knot, and I'm like, okay. Um, have, have you been intimate at all with each other? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I guess it's over. Said, you, went the wrong, you went the wrong order. You, know, you want to create the order and the respect and the fear and the awe. And then, and then things, then you, now there's a structure. And now there can be intimacy. Now you have a place to play with. You 
the place where the chaos of intimacy can take place. You know? So he wasn't happy about that, and then because he really felt like this was the one. And so I told him to, well, then get in touch with her. And she lives in a different country. He was just visiting Israel. So get in touch with her and tell her that, that you feel so strongly about her that that you would like to um, that you'd like to make sure that there's no more intimacy until meaning he loves her enough. I love you so much that I refuse to put you at risk. I love you so much that I will not put you at risk. I love you too much to have you risk your heart. And and so, you know, if we may be intimate again, but it will be only after you have an insurance policy on your ring finger. An insurance policy on your ring finger. <laughs> that was my idea for this Gentile guy. You know, hopefully it will go well for him, and he'll. Can you get out tonight? What's that? Can you get out tonight? Who knows? I don't. I, I don't even know who this guy was. I mean, he just walked up to me out of the blue. So, so it'll be hard for me to follow that one up. <laughs> How do you think she'll take it? Probably with surprise. Probably with surprise. I think he's gay or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, anyway, but uh, but let's go to the holidays now. So Yom Kippur is where you get your act together for having, you know, acted in chaos in this false sense of autonomy you thought you were getting by choosing wrong, and then you. You know, through the whole process to get yourself through Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, you can maybe get to the height of order, which is, you know, really getting it clear that there's a God and that you should be aligning your life with this God. Then you can go ahead and jump ahead to the, the story of Purim and, and then party with God big time. Now, for those of you who missed Yom Kippur this year, if you're watching this and you're just not so hooked up to the Jewish calendar, so anyone who's in that situation where Yom Kippur really wasn't what it was meant to be, um, not what you had, you know, maybe it's not the Yom Kippur you would have had in Jerusalem. So your job would be over the next several days till Wednesday is to clean up your act on a Yom Kippur style. Like, get yourself aligned fully with Torah. Like, Whatever, wherever you're being lackadaisical in your, you know, in your futile, futile lunge towards autonomy, which is like a joke because you're not any more autonomous because you do stupid stuff, you know. But if you were to get your act together till Wednesday, you have you would likely get the Purim experience. You understand? So like. Meaning, tighten up the nuts and bolts on your ship here for the next week. You got a week to pull this off. Get yourself, get yourself worked out before Purim hits, so that when Purim hits, you can get straight to the intimacy. So this is probably a good time of year to um, take on stuff like make certain resolutions in your life uh, where you're where you've been a little lackadaisical about Jewish law. There's a good time to. to Tighten up your ship, and, and then you'll hit, you'll hit Purim like the way it's meant to be. Now this, 
this story that what I'm teaching you is is uh, mirrored in the story of uh, Moses and Aaron and the two sons of of Aaron's whose names are Nadav and Avi. So we have we have this Moses and Aaron representing law and order. That's Moses and Aaron. Their their law, awe, respect, fear. You know, they were the ultimate like do the right thing people, handling the whole structure of Israel as you know the chief rabbis of the community, and they represented order. Uh, Aaron's sons, on the other hand, represent intimacy, and. It, these two sons, Nadam and Avihu, happened to be drinking shots. They were they were literally drinking shots and uh, enjoying some alcohol, and uh, it was causing their hearts to stir in love of you know in in love <coughs> of God. You know their hearts were stirring. They're they're feeling the intimacy of God, and. We have a tradition that says that, an oral tradition that says that they saw Moses and Aaron walking by, everyone <clears throat> standing up for them. And, you know, it's all like awe and respect. And, and as they're standing, everyone's standing up for them, Nadav and Avir says, say to each other, when are these old guys going to croak? And, we'll, and we're going to take over the place. You know, when are they going to die and we can maybe have some real passion? You know, let's let's have some passion with God. You know, let's let's get to the passionate side of Judaism. And that was their what they were saying to each other. And then, well, a couple shots later, they said, you know what? Let's just cut to the chase scene. And they just went and concocted what they thought was a good concoction of incense. And uh, now, of course, we know that you're only allowed to burn certain incense in the temple. At that point, it was the tabernacle in the desert. And, you know, like, there, there's a certain kind of concoction made of 11 spices that you're allowed to have. And, uh, you guys know I carry my little electric burner with one of those spices, although I think it's, uh, I think my battery died yesterday, maybe. Oh, it regenerated it a little bit. So probably get a little bit of, a uh, little bit of this stuff coming out. Since we have the AC on in here, they'll probably send it around to y'all. See if I can get it going again. Yeah, there it goes. Yeah. So hopefully you'll be able to smell that. Anyway, so they said to themselves, they said to themselves, what are these guys, oh, so they kept drinking shots, and, um, and they took their these you know fire pans that they, that you burn incense on, and and just run into the holy of holies, which you're you're not allowed in there. I mean that's like that's reserved for Aaron Hakohen, you know the the high priest Moses's brother. Like that's that's only for Aaron to be going into there, and they will go straight into the holy of holies with their fire pans, and what happens? It works full intimacy a fire comes burning out of heaven like a big giant flame comes flying out of heaven it did its job and then it splits into two and then it splits into four and then it just comes curving down and str- 
straight up their nostrils and just like fries them on the spot. Like they themselves become the offering. And they die in this like enraptured state. Like total, it's like a human sacrifice, but self-sacrifice. And they're, they're just, that's it. You know, and they're just, and they're, bodies and their their bodies and their clothes you know these priestly garments that the priests wore are just draped on the floor unscathed by the fire you know I mean it burned the insides God like God like took the insides the inner <coughs> desire you know it, it, he God just took it up and interesting the nostrils where the soul's from you know they, as it says in Genesis that God you know, blew the soul into man. Man is the only being in Genesis that has two creations because we have a body creation. It's kind of like homo sapien. But then you get this totally other creation where God blows a, a living soul into the nostril, nostrils of Adam. And now he's, now he's Adam. Now he's like this man thing. You know, not just a hunk of flesh, but he's, he's Adam who's going to have speech and cognitive ability and stuff and you know it's a totally double it's a double creation story when it comes to Adam and and that came through the nostrils the living soul and, and Nadam and Avihu and and, the, and Aaron can you imagine being their father you know, Aaron's watching all this happen and now his sons are you know they're, they're gone you know all that's left is their skin and their priestly garments in the Holy of Holies and Aaron and his, Aaron's just said nothing he was just like he was just kind of like whoa that was it no no mourning no no nothing he was just like I don't know what that means we don't really know what it means that Aaron was just like whoa you know like oh my gosh like, he just was like Silent. He was silent. Now he could have been silent in pride. Like, those are my boys, you know. Like, you know, aren't we? Are would you do that? I'm not saying you should, because it was totally breaking the order. It's forbidden to do, but you know, if you had to go, you know. If you knew you had to go like that that's pretty good you know? and would you be proud of your kids if they like felt like God was that cool that they'd like to just offer themselves up like that now by the way it could be they didn't know this was going to happen could be that they didn't know that, that it was going to go this way and maybe they wouldn't have done it there's two ways to learn it uh, there's a bunch of ways to learn it but this is one of the ways that it's learned, is that it was a, a very holy sacrifice, but wrong. <laughs> and we have a tradition of things wrong that are holy, you know. And you got to be careful. Don't be the one judge of such things. I mean, don't try to figure these out for yourself. But, you know, um, but King David, for example, who's like the, the seed of the messianic order of, like, history... He's, he's, he's from incest on both lines of his family. It's like whether you got Judah and Tamar on one side 
to uh, Ruth the Moabite, who's a direct descendant of Lot and his daughters. So it's either, uh, both sides are incestuous that come to come to the birth of uh, of David, and he's the Mashiach. And so now again, that's not our. We can't play around with that kind of stuff, but um, but there, there's there is some some kind of a mature view of things that that's beyond the that's beyond the the order of events and the chaos that leads to some higher order that has to there has to be some kind of breakdown in order that can lead to a higher order. But again, it's not we're we're never to feel our shoulders are broad enough to play those games. You, know, you want to be very careful in your life. You know, not to mess with uh, that stuff. And, and be very careful of charismatic people who think they have those broad shoulders because they will mess you up. And uh, I've met a lot of people over my years who uh, have been messed up by charismatic charismatic leaders who think they can like, you know, cross the cables in uh, chaotic ways that are going against Judaism. And, and, uh, so, and today we live in such a global village that you can easily get yourself involved in people, uh, you know, sh- sharing traditions that are crossed wires. And it's not a, you know, you, as a Jew, you want to be super careful of that stuff. And we, and we do have some rabbis who can handle those questions. If you find that you're going to get some healing or benefit from such things speak to the right sort people to make sure you don't mess yourself up in the process you know you can heal one thing and mess up another you know and, and usually people want to heal physically or emotionally but mess themselves up spiritually so like the part of you that was eternal got messed up as opposed to just dealing with the part of you that's temporal which is your emotion and your physical body okay so anyway that that represented the the that was intimacy and chaos at the expense of awe and order, and therefore inappropriate. And so all of us have to, you know, figure out how to get things right in such a way that order and chaos work together and in, in, the, in the right place. Now, how does this reflect in the actual story of Purim itself? So Purim, Purim is a a story of of kind of extreme chaos. As I said, the holiday is based on chaos. And so the story kind of revolves around a genocidal attempt where where God seems to be out of the picture. And in the whole book of the Megillah, it's um, God's name never even shows up. So like the great order of reality, God, is not in the story. Rather, what is going on in the story is a genocide attempt and just a lot of strange <coughs> timing. A lot of like t- very well timed and very bad timed things taking place, mostly well timed things. So like a hor- bad intent on the on the on the minds of the Gentiles in the story, i.e., the Persian king and his advisor Haman. Bad intent on their side, and, and great hidden you know turnabouts that take place in the story as a as a result of of the hidden god running the show underneath it all. And in fact, the word Megillat Esther, the book of Esther or the scroll of Esther is the words Megillah means to reveal and Esther means the hidden. So Esther literally means hidden in 
Megillah literally means to reveal. So the, so the book we read on the day, the book we read that has God hidden is called the Revelation of the Hidden. And, and this day of Revelation of the Hidden is... is revealing God's hand in the chaos. So like, for example, here we have, you know, chaos in the world. We've got, you know, a virus that everyone's scared of. We've got uh, candidates in America running for office that, you know, who knows what's going to be over there. But like, you know, like America is like almost, you know, potentially turning socialists if Trump loses, which would be like a very strange thing that would happen for the U.S. Um, Israel's been in total flux with no government for the first time in its history for since the summer. And, and so like here we are in quite chaotic times. And, and then, you know, there's just no telling what's going to be. You know, you got to enjoy being in this classroom even right now. Because, uh, who knows, you know, who knows what's going to be happening. Were any of you planning on going to Pesach programs? Was anyone here supposed to go to a Passover program? You know, like that. Those are like literally getting canceled one after the other. Hopefully the ones in the U.S. will happen. Um, so, so we're kind of living in chaos right now. And the hiddenness of God is inside of all of it because there's, it's perfect order. It's just chaotic order. It's being totally orchestrated by God. <clears throat> and so it's kind of cool we're going into Purim for all of this because we're going into our most chaotic, wild day at the time where we where we, we could all use a little more stability, yet the Torah calendar says not stability time right now. This is chaos time. And to embrace the chaos and, and to uh, have the courage to go into that chaotic experience. Okay, everyone. Uh, question? Yes. Could you offer a technique, perhaps? Is there something within our tradition where we can do some type of meditation all day long to transcend all of this chaos? Like, happened here, something came from the Hindu tradition where there was Ramdas, who recently passed away, used to say uh, one of the names of God all day long matter what was going on because people are freaking out so is there like an all day long hypnotic type of meditation meditation or, or prayer where not, I'm not talking about all the complexities of all the davening there's something like a simple to get us general, a general panacea uh-huh. so, so it's interesting it was just mentioned actually in um, it was just mentioned in the dafyami uh, today actually Today's daf. That uh, I think it was. Did anyone learn the daf today? And, uh, was it Rebbe Kibu who said that that everything that God does is for the good? Yeah. Well, is that the is that when is the beginning of today's daf? The end of yesterday. Yeah. Oh, it was the end of yesterday's daf. Yeah, yeah. Was that Rebbe Kiva? Yeah, it was Rebbe Kiva. Anyway, but Rebbe Kiva was. Uh, he had only a candle, a donkey, and a, a rooster. And a rooster. And he was uh, on his way into a town 
Why didn't you go into the town? Uh, there was no space for him. <laughs> Maybe they were like, sorry, Charlie. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, sorry, you, you'll have to go stay outside our town. Anyway, that town was captured by enemy, uh, you know, marauders. Um, but he, on the way into town, was, Rebbe Kiva was just in the forest right there with a candle lit and a loud loop rooster and a, bra- a potentially braying donkey. But the wind blew out the candle, so his lantern was out. His rooster was eaten by a cat and a lion ate his donkey. And then every single thing that happened, like when he didn't get admitted into the town, he was like, oh, that's for the, that, that's for the good. Yamzula Taiva, that's for the good. Everything God does is for the good. Okay? Gamzula Taiva, we say. Everyone try that mantra, Gamzula Taiva. Gamzula Taiva. And then when his cat, when his rooster was eaten, he said, Gamzula Taiva. His lantern went out, and he had to spend the night in pitch black. So the marauders didn't see him, Gamzula Taiva. And the donkey didn't bray, and Gamzula Taiva, because he got eaten by a lion. And, and um, and so, I think that's probably what we need to say, is that whatever we see, because that gets to include the things we see. It could be Ramdas in India, was um, not seeing anything. He's like, I'd rather not see. We get to see and say it's for the good. So I think that's probably a good thing, is to have ourselves saying Gamzulatoyla all day. Gamzulatoyla. And also, also, it's probably a good idea probably a good idea for all of us to study Torah um, you know just to keep your, your mind on you know keep your mind in Torah and so we should study Torah at least some of our day and dedicate some Torah time to keep yourself on track and there's another thing that's amazing is the Yetzahara the evil inclination has new coordinates each day and there's only one way to expose its coordinates Torah study. Torah study shows you the coordinates. So you might think like, if you manage to see where the Yetzer was yesterday, so you think, ah, oh, now I'm set. He's got new coordinates today. He switched. He switched it up totally. He's not going back to the Ozone, Ozone coordinates, at least not tomorrow. And so the way you expose it is with some Torah study. Torah study seems to put your head on straight for the day. And, uh, and it, what an excellent distraction to, to be connected to God and Torah, you know, throughout you know so many hours of your day, if not more than a few, as many as you can get in, and then it's less time suffering, you know, because some of us left to our own devices, you know, meaning your own brain with your own thoughts, uh, come like it's not a lot of negative. Uh, you can wind up with a lot of negative. Um, how would you say findings? Meaning when you play with all the data, that's cruising through your brain throughout the day, you could easily come up with uh, not such positive conclusions. And and that could get you down. And so so it's by having more, you know, more, more, as much Torah as you can handle, you know, different people have different appetite, but put as much Torah as you can handle into your brain. Well, it kind of, you know, now you got eternity, the eternal Torah, like, cruising around your brain for a part of the day. And that's probably going to clean things up a bit from being left to your own devices and your own thoughts throughout the day. Like let, let Chazal into the picture. Our sages, let the sages in. That's one. And uh, 
And the last thing I want to say was um, that'd be helpful is is a goal is a, a, you know getting yourself locked on to a goal that can be broken up into parts that can be spread throughout your days and, and uh, you know a lot of us wind up without a clear directive and so it, that affects the dopamine in the brain if you don't have a clear directive in your day you know an overarching goal directives that can be broken up and and then uh, you know obviously uh, implementing throughout the day in some at some level you know like an hour of it or more than an hour of your day where you're on task so you're, you're probably going to have a better day as a result so so I think that a day without a, a day without directives towards an overarching goal is is uh, going to be a rough day but depending on the, who you are but most Jews you know, without having some directives throughout your day leading to that overarching goal is going to be now you're stuck with playing pinball with your own brain for a lot of it and, and that, that for many people that could be not a good idea That's, uh, Jews, are da- Jews are dangerous thinkers you know and uh, not to be you know, your brain's a bad neighborhood don't go there alone you know? and uh, you want to be careful with Jewish brain and make sure make sure the, that that we're on task. Okay. Shalom everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by Torahanytime.com.